And uh, could you please turn with me to Colossians chapter 2? Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look particularly at verses 6 and 7, and we're going to go on to verse 18. Because we've been away from Colossians for two weeks, um, we read the passage just before that as well to give us a bit of context, remind us where we're up to. And now we're going to do verses 6 and 7, and then down to verse 18. be really helpful to have your outline in front of you, especially since I don't have PowerPoints for you today. Sorry about that. Um, so, you've got the outline there. You imagine that's in colour or something like that. And as we begin, I'll lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the wonderful hope that you've given us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the certainty of uh, eternity uh, in praise around your throne. Uh, we pray that they will help you help us to, to strive uh, as, we, uh, as we look forward to that. Our Father, we pray that as we look at your word now, uh, your spirit, uh, who inspired these, these words to be written, uh, would be at work in, in each of our hearts, uh, that we would respond rightly to, to what you have to say here, and we pray that, uh, yeah, that your spirit would, would be our teacher and guide. Uh, open our hearts, we pray, to your word, and open your word to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A pivotal passage, well, a pivotal point in a passage, uh, is a turning point, isn't it? It's a point where the passage turns from one thing to another. And so it's a very important point as you're looking at any piece of literature. As we look at Colossians, Colossians 2, 6 and 7 is a, a pivotal point. It is a pivotal sentence in this letter to the Colossians. It is a joint. And the first half of the sentence talks about having received Christ Jesus the Lord. The supremacy and lordship of Christ has been the theme of the letter up to this point. And in the second half of the sentence, talk about how we should live as a result. That is the theme of the rest of the letter. And so this sentence is the, is the pivot, it is the joint. But more than that, it's the summary of the entire letter. The whole point of why Paul is writing this, this letter to the Colossians is encapsulated here, in these two verses. And in fact, if you double-click the various phrases in this verses, you will get the various sections of the letter. So if you want a summary of the whole book of Colossians, then this is it. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at those two verses. All right? Um, we're going to double click a little bit on the various bits, but especially on the bits that, that lead to verses uh, 8, to, 8, to, uh, 8 to 19, uh, which we're, we will also be looking at briefly. But before we do that, can we remind you that Paul is not just writing to individuals here. Right? He's writing to a church. He's writing to the Colossian church. 
And so while what he says does have implications for individuals, because individuals com- you know, comprise the church, uh, he's talking to the church as a whole. And so these words have implications, not for, both for individuals and for the church community. Now the starting point for Christian living, for the Christians in Colossae, and in fact anywhere else, is that when they received Christ Jesus the Lord, the beginning of verse 6. The word received there is a semi-technical term. Uh, It is used usually in in these contexts for the receiving of some tradition or or some information that is then to be passed on. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about what he received, he also delivered to them. And that was the message of the gospel. What the Colossians received, what was handed over to them, was Christ Jesus the Lord. That is, they received the gospel that spoke about him. Paul has already reminded us about the content of this gospel of Christ Jesus the Lord. Uh, Christ means anointed one, God's king. In chapter 1 verse 13, he is the king of God's kingdom. And if we are in his kingdom, it says we have been rescued from sin. We have been forgiven of our sins. And in chapter 1 verses 15 to 20, we see that he is supreme, he is the Lord, the king of all creation. The one through whom and for whom everything is made. He's the Lord who died for our sins so that if we trust in him we are considered holy and blameless when when God comes to judge the world. Christ Jesus, King Jesus, is Lord. That is the message the Colossians receive and that's what we receive when we receive the gospel. But receiving the gospel in this sense is more than just receiving information. What we receive when we believe the gospel is nothing less than a new Lord in our lives. We receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. When the Colossians receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, they receive not just the message about him, but but he himself, a new king. That is a personal thing, a relational thing, not just an informational thing. They receive Christ Jesus, King Jesus, the Lord, Lord of the universe, as their Lord. It's a change of ownership. In their lives. And as a people as well, we have received Christ Jesus the Lord. We have heard the gospel, we keep on getting reminded of the gospel week after week. We know that he is supreme, that he is the one for whom and, and by whom the universe exists. We know that we are sinners, but we trust in Jesus who has reconciled us to God through his death to present us holy and blameless before him. He is our Lord, he is our King. We have received him. And we are a people who seek to live under his rule as our king. Let me ask you though, have you as an individual received Christ Jesus the Lord? Do you know that, that he died for your sins? You trust in his death alone to save you from, from sin and its punishment. Do you know him as your king? The Lord of your life? Because if not, that's, a, that's the very first thing you need to do. Before we think about Christian living and all the other things we see in this book, or anything else, the first thing is, receive Christ the Lord. That's the starting point. And having received Christ Jesus the Lord, the Holy Spirit says through Paul in verse 6, So walk in him. So walk in him. Walk is a, is a lifestyle thing. It, it's taking steps day by day, in the right way, in the right direction. 
How you walk means, means how you live. Your life, your character. So what he's saying is, look, if Christ Jesus is your Lord, then, then let your lifestyle show it. If Christ Jesus is your Lord, then walk in Him. If Christ Jesus is your Lord, then live His way. Colossians chapter 3 will go on to show how to do that. We'll look at it in detail next week, but we just tell you what it's like in general. It involves a new way of thinking. Setting our hearts on Christ and on heaven. Looking forward to our future with Him that we sang about just now. It involves a new way of living. Saying no to the old sinful nature, to things like sexual immorality and impurity and lust and greed and anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander and dirty language. It means deliberately cultivating tender-hearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. It means making allowances for each other's faults, forgiving each other, above all showing love. It involves the Word of God filling our lives as we, as we speak to each other and we sing to God together with thankful hearts. It involves doing everything, whether at home or at work, as representatives of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. As we look at our lives, can we say that we are walking in Christ? Is the Lordship of Jesus a reality? in our lives. Are we seeking to obey him, to do what he commands, to become more like him in character? We have, since we have received Christ as Lord, the Bible says, we ought to walk in him. Now there are four things in verse 7 that are linked to the Christian walk. Have a look at it with me. It talks about being rooted, or actually the, the, the tense is having been rooted, Built up, or really being built up, established, being established in the faith, and abounding in thanksgiving. Having been rooted, being built up, being established, abounding in thanksgiving. And let's look at them in each of them in turn. First thing it's talking about is being rooted in Christ. Now the tense is actually something that's already been completed. It's having been rooted. Paul's telling the Colossian Christians that they have been rooted in Christ. That is why they can now walk in Him. Now, you might have noticed there's a bit of a mix of metaphors. Right? We're not supposed to think about walking and being rooted at the same time. Right? Because that doesn't work, does it? Um, but think what it means to be rooted. Right? A tree with deep roots doesn't easily fall over. And it won't move from here to there. It's not, it's not transferable. It draws us nourishment from the soil in which it is rooted. It doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere else. Being rooted in Christ means that we will be firm in Christ. They will have firm foundations from which we will grow. We will not move to something else. We will not say, I got what I need from here, let's, what I, let's see what I can get from the next field. Have no longings for another, I'm satisfied in him alone. See, being rooted in Christ means that we stay with him and in him. And all the spiritual nourishment that we need for our, for our spiritual life and health, we get it from him. So walking in Christ depends firstly on having our roots in him. The second thing in verse 7 is being built up. Being built up. 
So, so, so walking in Christ involves being built up in him. The picture is that of a house being built. Right, which is often a, a picture the Bible uses of a church. Remember, Paul's not just talking about individuals, talking to the church, and, 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 and like, like the Colossians, we too are being built up. We are growing together to maturity in Christ. Which means being united in the truth of Christ and his gospel and all he teaches us in his word. Means being changed together, become more and more like him in, in character, both, both individually and as a group. We are being built up in Christ. We are to grow in Him. But friends, note that our growth, our increase, our development is again to be in Christ. What we have been rooted in is what we are to to, to grow in. To be built in Him, not anything else. We should never, never grow away from him. That is not true spiritual growth. That is spiritual danger. Because sometimes people think, well, we start off in Christ, and after that we need to go on to something else. We need need new spiritual techniques, new gurus, new experiences, new insights, if we're going to be really spiritual. Friends, that is a terrible mistake. We have been rooted in Christ And we are to keep on being built in him. Verses 8 to 12, of, in fact verses 8 to 19 of chapter 2 show us that. In a sense, they show us what Paul is attacking when he's reminding us of these things. See, in verse 8 he says, See to it that no one takes you captive, no one takes you away, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Don't let anyone take you off in a different direction. Now, how would people take the Colossians captive by, by philosophy and, and, and deceit and, and human tradition and, 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 uh, and spiritual stuff from element? See, they will try and get things into the church that come from these areas. They will say, look, Christ is supreme. Yeah, yeah, we know that, but, but we also need a supplement. Having Christ as your Lord, that, that, is, that is essential. But we agree, but, but, but to be really spiritual, you need, this, you need this other stuff as well. And so people were talking to them in Colossae about, about something called fullness. Knowing Christ was well enough, they said, you need something else to make you full. This is what we offer you. Paul says, no. All God's fullness is found in Christ. If you have Christ, you have fullness. Verses 9 to 10. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Or people are talking about circumcision. Christ is not enough. You need this right of circumcision. And Paul says, no. True circumcision, the thing that circumcision is pointing to is occurred at the cross where Christ died. It wasn't just his foreskin which was cut off, his whole body. And if you're in Christ, you're united with him in his death and in his resurrection. And the true circumcision is yours already if you are in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him. 
Or, uh, they were talking about rulers, authorities, spiritual beings, and spiritual forces that you've got to deal with. Paul says, no. Christ conquered them all on the cross. By dealing with our sins, he took away the hold they have on us. We don't need to worry about them anymore. Verses 13, again, from verse 13 onwards. God made us alive together with him, having cancelled our transpassions, Sorry, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Or people are talking about having to keep special days, special seasons and, and special rules about what you can or you can't eat, what you can and you can't touch, so you're really spiritual. Paul says, no, that's all covenant stuff. It's all being fulfilled in Christ. Verse 16. Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. Or people are talking about asceticism. It's trying to show humility and piety by self-denial. Deny myself all these things. I'm really spiritual if I do. Or they were talking about worshipping angels, which they'd seen in visions. And somehow they could get you closer to God. But really they were a figment of their own imaginations. Verse 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. See, brothers and sisters, don't add to Christ. Don't try to get some spirituality from somewhere else and then, and then graft it onto your Christian experience. Don't add religious rituals or observances of special days or dietary restrictions or mystical visions or interactions with spiritual forces or self-denial or anything else to make yourself super spiritual. Hold fast to the head. The growth that comes from God, verse 19, is a growth that comes from holding fast to Christ. We have been rooted in Christ. We need to be built up in Christ. Established in the faith. We are to grow, yes. Not to grow apart from Christ. Not to grow away from Christ. Not to grow in something else. But to grow to know Him better. To love Him more and more. To become more and more like Him in our character. To appreciate His grace more and more. To live more and more His way. To serve Him more and more. To trust Him more and more. That is, that is what we are to grow in. We sometimes sing, Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. There isn't, brothers and sisters. That is the way of true spirituality. Having been rooted in Christ, and we firmly planted in Him, we are then to grow. We are to be built up in Him. And the third thing the Holy Spirit links to walking in Christ in, in verse 7 is about being established in the faith, just as you were taught. The word translated established there, it also be strengthened. Made firm. And in some way this idea is the same kind of idea as the previous two, isn't it? 
Paul's saying to the Colossians, and the Spirit says to us, you have been rooted in Christ, you are growing in Christ, you need to be made firm. Firm in what? Firm in the faith, just as you were taught. The faith that is the, the body of teaching that, that speaks of Christ. Not some new teaching. Not some extra stuff. It is the gospel the Colossians heard and believed and obeyed. The gospel that we heard and we believed and obeyed. And Paul urges the Colossians to be strengthened in that. Keep reinforcing that faith. Keep reminding each other of those truths. Be strengthened in the gospel of Christ. There's a cautionary tale that is often told about the Mennonite brethren, but that can apply to any church or or Christian group. You have one generation that believes the gospel, centers on Christ, is firm in the faith, keeps it central. The next generation believes the gospel, but but fails to keep it central. It believes, but doesn't get strengthened. Doesn't keep getting articulated. People don't get reminded of what they're talking about. It's just assumed. Yeah, we believe that. But something else, usually a good thing, is what, is what the church or the group is really, really passionate about. And the next generation picks up on the passion and denies the gospel. So the Holy Spirit tells us through Paul, God, keep on being strengthened in the faith that you were taught. Keep being established, keep being made firm in the gospel. Don't just assume it. Don't lose sight of it. And don't let anything or anyone take its central place in your life and the life of the church. And the fourth and final item that's connected with verse 7, connected with walking in Christ, in verse 7, is abounding in thanksgiving. That is, having lots and lots and lots of thanksgiving. And brothers and sisters, we are to be a people who are thankful, and overwhelmingly so. Thankfulness is a, is a mark of a true believer, I think. And it's the antidote to the seeking of other experiences and, and spiritualities. Because if we're really thankful for what God has done for us in Jesus, then, then we won't go chasing after other things. And if we have received Christ as Lord, if we have been rooted in Christ, if we are being built up in Him, if we are being strengthened in the faith, then then how can we be anything else other than thankful? Of course we are thankful for all that God has done for us and continues to do for us day by day. For whenever we thank God for something, we acknowledge that it comes from Him. Whether it's something we ask for, or something He's given us without our asking. Someone once said, I, I feel sorry for atheists. They can see a beautiful sunset and have no one to thank for it. Friends, we have a God who gives us life and breath day by day. Supplies our needs day by day. He gives us food and shelter and, and everything good that we have. Who gives us friends and families. Who gives us relationships and enables us to experience them. Who gives us purpose and meaning and responsibility and privilege and, and sunshine and rain and, and each other. For love and support. We must always be thankful to him for these things. But the biggest thing that God has done for us, the central focus of our thanksgiving and praise is how he has rescued us in Jesus. 
And that is something we see over and over again in the Bible. Even in Colossians, just one description of it is in in, in verse 13 uh, and 14, which we raced across just now. We were, in verse 13, dead in our trespasses. But God made us alive together with Christ. There's something to be thankful for, isn't it? And he did that because, verse 14, he did that by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Record of debt is like a big IOU. We owe God big time for all the wrongs that we've done. We deserve his, his punishment forever. And God took that IOU, verse 14, He set it aside. Literally, he wiped it clean. He obliterated it. He erased it. And how did he do that? Again, verse 14, by nailing it to the cross. That is, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he paid the debt we owed. And the debt is wiped clean. Even the record of our sins was erased. We have been completely forgiven. And therefore all the forces of evil which accuse us of sin and use it against us, they are beaten and God makes a mockery of them. Open shame, it says, triumphing over them on the cross. That is something to be thankful for, isn't it? You know, there may be times that we find really tough. There may be times we go looking and we, or we go through all kinds of things and then we think, well, there's actually there's nothing I can thank God for. When I look at my life, when I look at my circumstances, I, I can't see that God really loves me. Because if he did, would I be going through all this? The things I used to thank God for, well, they're just, they're just bitterness to me now. I can't thank God for people because they all let me down. I can't thank God for meaning. I can't see at the moment. I can't thank God for food because I don't want to eat. I can't thank God for life because I don't want to live. If ever that's you, then there is still something you can thank God for. There is something that God has done that will never change, no matter what the circumstances. There is a way of knowing that God loves you, even when the whole world screams out to you that he doesn't. Just remember the gospel. Go back to the cross. Because at the cross you see that he really does care. Jesus came to die for you, to give his life on your behalf. To take your sins and your guilt so you can be forgiven. That is love. And nothing can change that. And if you can't thank God for anything else, you can still thank God for the cross. And if you can thank God for the cross, then you can know that you can trust him. For the God who, who loves you enough to do that for you, is a God who really is on your side. And whatever you're going through, you can talk to him about it. You can know he's working it out for your good. I, uh, I had a friend in Australia who's, uh, who was going through a very difficult time. His, his wife left him. His family disowned him when he became a Christian. And he winded up in financial difficulties all at about the same time. And quite understandably, he struggled long and hard with the depression that came as a result. He would sit down, he would think for hours and hours about the problems he was facing. 
could mull and ruminate on them. He'd pray about them. He found that helpful, but, but they were still there and they were still getting the better of him. And I think the real turning point for my friend was on the day he decided to be thankful. Instead of just telling God his problems and asking for help, he decided to thank God. He says he, he went for a long walk one day, and all the way he was just thanking God for the things that he'd done and was doing in his life. In his room he used to keep a long list of things that went wrong, right, things that were bad for him. He still kept that list, but this time he actually on the paper he divided into two, and he had another list that he kept with it, things to be thankful for. And to his utter amazement, the second list was even longer than the first. Uh, his problems weren't solved overnight, but he, he began to get them, as big as they were, into, into proper perspective. And he was able from there, by, by God's grace, to walk with him and to trust him. Spoken to a number of people in our different congregations who have been, been going through hard times recently. And one thing that stands out in spite of it all, again, is thankfulness. And I praise God for that. Thankfulness, though, is not just when we're down. When things go well for us, we should abound in thankfulness, shouldn't we? Sometimes we, we forget that. But every blessing God pulls out, we turn back to thanksgiving. And we thank God that he's given us salvation. That he's given us his son, that he's given us his spirit, that he's given us his word, that he's given us the privilege of prayer, that he's given us each other to love and encourage. All blessings that come from Christ. Friends, walking in Christ is walking in thankfulness. Because of Christ, no matter what, we'll always have things to be thankful for. So, brothers and sisters, let's make what God teaches us in verses 6 to 7 of Colossians 2. Something that is really, really important for us and really, really important for our church. It's a key verse in Colossians. Good idea to go back and learn it by heart. But most importantly, more importantly than that, let's remember to keep it in practice. Having received Christ Jesus the Lord, let's walk in Him. How do we do that? Well, having been rooted in Him, let's be built up in Him. Growing in Him, not away from him. Let's keep on being strengthened in the truths of the gospel as we remind each other about it and we seek to live it out. And let's be more and more overwhelmingly thankful for all that God has done for us in Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for what you have done for us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that through him we have forgiveness and eternal life. We thank you that because he died for us, our sins are forgiven and totally wiped clean. We thank you that he is our Lord. He is our King and, and, and we are able to live under him in his kingdom. Father, we pray that you help us to walk in him to live his way, to seek to, to, to order our lives according to, according to his will, to become more and more like him in our character. Thank you that we have been rooted in him, that we have been established in trusting in him and him alone for our salvation. 
Help us never, never to walk away. Help us never to look at other things and think that somewhere or other they may be more attractive than the Lord Jesus. Help us, Father, to to be built up in Him, to grow to maturity in Him, become more like Him, to love Him more, to trust Him more, to, to follow Him and serve Him better. Help us to keep on being established, keep on being strengthened and made firm in this faith. And Lord, may we be a people who are overwhelmingly thanksgiving, thankful for what you have done for us in Jesus. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.